This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There's a high fly ball from KMOX Sports. That's it deep to left field, and it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. There's a moment for you. Driving jam time. The Philippines win this one. Comeback pattern caught. Touchdown, Kansas City. Now, sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Looking over the lines for today's games, 2 o'clock is the start for the Eagles at home against the 49ers. Philadelphia's line has moved to 3. That's an indication that some of the money is going to the Eagles in this one. They opened as a two and a half point favorite. It got to three briefly during this past week, but it's pretty much hovered around two and a half until this morning. That line has moved back to three and the Eagles are a favorite in this game by a field goal. The over under is 45. That seems pretty accurate. I mean, you know, you got to figure that these two teams are thought to be defensive juggernauts and keep this game kind of low and tough. You know, there's 31 in the Cowboys game. 49ers won that 19 to 12. However, the last time these two quarterbacks faced each other, and yes, they have faced each other, Brock Purdy and uh, Jalen Hurts have played against each other. And I'll tell you exactly when that was. It was in 2019. Hertz actually played for Oklahoma. If you recall, and a lot of people remember him as an Alabama quarterback, but he played for Oklahoma before that. Uh, He passed for three touchdowns and ran for two scores for Oklahoma. Purdy in that game threw five touchdown passes for Iowa State. Number nine, Oklahoma beat Iowa State that day in Norman. 42-41. 42-41. Purdy recalled this week, it was almost like you had to score every single time you had the ball. I don't think that's going to be the case today, but that's their memory of facing each other was a high-scoring contest, 42-41, back in 2019 in the college football season. It was a great, great game. I remember that game. Two young quarterbacks going head-to-head. Well, they're at it again in the NFC Championship game. Brock Purdy who is Mr. Irrelevant. Everyone's been talking about the rookie sensation. He was the last pick in the NFL draft going up against one of the great quarterbacks coming out of college, Jalen Hurts. We'll see where it goes today. The Eagles at home are very good. 49ers really put it on the Cowboys. And, you know, Purdy's faced loud crowds before, uh, but this is going to be pretty rowdy in Philadelphia today. We'll see what happens between these two today in the NFC Championship. And I've talked a lot already about the AFC Championship, my feelings there. I like the Bengals in this game, not by much, 
but I like the Bengals in this game. Uh, they have everything that it takes to go on the road and win in a hostile environment. And I know the Chiefs dealing with Patrick Mahomes' injury. That's not really my reason, uh, but it does sway me. The fact that Travis Kelsey had some back spasms shouldn't be too much of an issue. Uh, but the fact that Patrick Mahomes dealing with a high ankle sprain coming out of that Jacksonville game is an issue. He's not going to be the same mobile quarterback and some of the innovative things that he does running around there, throwing shovel passes and little flip fat passes and all those things. But that's how you're going to have to beat Cincinnati is short passes, getting the ball into the hands of the running back, getting the ball in the hands of Kelsey short passes to the slot and being creative. They'll have to figure it out. There will be a way to beat Cincinnati. And if the chiefs, Find it. Congratulations to them. I don't think they're going to, but we'll see. Uh, It'll be fun regardless. That's the 530 game, the Bengals and the Chiefs in the NFC championship game. I'm really, really looking forward to that. We will hear about, uh, we've had some people comment that they want to hear some baseball. Well, you will on this show coming up at the bottom of the hour. The general manager of the Cardinals is Michael Gersh, and he visited with Matt Pauley. We'll hear from him. Really good interview, I thought, starting with some thoughts on Scott Rowland becoming a Hall of Famer. I am thrilled for Scott. He is going into the Hall of Fame with Fred McGriff. He is 100% deserving of that. He received 76% of the vote and snuck in there by five votes. I think it is absolutely deserving of one of the great third basemen of his era. And it's a shame there aren't enough third basemen in the Hall of Fame, but perhaps this opens the door for others. Third base, you know, a lot of the third basemen move from that position to other positions. That's one of the reasons why. Uh, But you think to what he was able to accomplish, both offensively and defensively, Scott Rowland is one of the better players of his generation. And so when you tell the story of his generation, a lot of those players uh, would tell you themselves, Scott Rowland's a Hall of Fame caliber player. So he goes into the Hall of Fame. There's no argument anymore. He's in there. 76% of the vote. He'll go in this summer with Fred McGriff, another player who's very deserving. I think that's a great theme. Two players who had to wait. McGriff had to wait a long time. Uh, And so it'll be very special for those two individuals and the former Cardinal, Scott Rowland. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Tom Hart, broadcaster, Mizzou made. SEC Network, ESPN, we're talking Mizzou basketball and Illinois and the college basketball landscape next on KMOX. It's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Driving jam time. The Billikens win this one. Touchdown, Kansas City. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Now take a little sip of my drink and... Drew's like, you know, are you ready to go? I'm always ready to go, man. No, but he's uh, always looking out for me. I have a great guest on the line. 1116 Sports on a Sunday morning. Tom Ackerman with you. I love this time of year. Tom Hart is with us, broadcaster from ESPN, SEC Network, the University of Missouri. How are you, Tom? Good morning, Tom. I love the energy. Um, I'm fantastic. It was indeed a great college basketball weekend, and I feel like, and I don't know if you're the same way, but I feel like there's a bunch of different starting points to the college basketball season, right? There's November 7th or 9th or whenever we start, and then there's the end of the college football regular season, and more people come on board, and then the end of the college football national championship, and more people come on board, and then this time of year where the NFL starts to 
wind down and even more fans say, hey, what's going on with Purdue? What's going on with Kansas? And they start to pay more and more attention to college basketball. And the games get bigger. That's a great way to look at it. You're absolutely right. This time of year, and I'm looking up at one of our monitors at CBS, and I'm seeing Mackey Arena. And you know, as an Indiana yeah. University grad, I'm not supposed <laughs> to talk about this, but it looks electric. It looks awesome. And I just get so excited. I, I just love, love, love this time of year they're taking on Michigan State today. The Big Ten is an absolute gauntlet. We'll get to that in just a moment. I wanted to get your thoughts on Mizzou scorching Iowa State last night or yesterday afternoon, 78-61. I know you had the Baylor game, but Mizzou wins by 17 over the 12th-ranked team in the country. First of all, how good is Iowa State? And secondly, how big of a win is this for Mizzou? Well, Iowa State is really good. I mean, they came in the 12th-ranked team in the country, and in my mind, the Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. The depth they have there, the quality of offensive teams and the shooters that they have in that league, that's a, that's a really good league that's going to be all over March Madness. So any win against anybody from the Big 12 is, is good, and Iowa State is, is a very well-coached team full of talent. Now, Missouri has proven with the style they play under Dennis Gates that they could win just about any game. They are one of the streakiest teams in college basketball. There's a, a newish uh, term called kill shots, which is any run that you have a 10, nothing or better. And Missouri is one of the top teams in the country that puts together 10, nothing runs on offense. Um, they get hot quick. They can stay hot. Now, this is going to sound very elementary, but if the shots aren't falling, they're a very different team. They are, Tom, you'll love this number. In their wins versus their losses, they make five more threes in their wins than they do their losses. So that's 15 points that they're getting on perimeter jump shots in games that they win versus games they lose. A 15-point swing in any game is monstrous, and that's, that's been the key to this team right now. And Demoy Hodge is shooting the lights out of the ball, and they got a bunch of dudes that can score. Yeah, they hit 14 threes yesterday, 14 of 30. They have no fear putting the ball up from beyond the arc. And you're right, that Illinois game, Kobe Brown was just draining oh. from outside, just out of control. It was so much fun to watch from a Missouri standpoint, not so much from Illinois. Uh, Kentucky gets beat uh, by Missouri, and they're bombing threes on Kentucky. 100% right, and I think it does go back to the coach, Dennis Gates, who had an interesting comment after the game yesterday. I want to get it verbatim. I'm going to see if I can find it. But I saw it on TV after the game in his press conference. He said that he didn't think they played all that great, and there was like a chuckle, and he said, well, you guys laugh, but I still haven't seen it. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really look at results. I look at the way that we play. What has he done to change the culture in Columbia, Tom? Well, it's twofold. It's a, it, it all comes from the same source, but it impacts a couple of different branches of his tree. It's, it's the style and the energy, right? And the style and the energy for guys like you and me who are just kind of college basketball fans or people listening this morning, they see it in the building. They see it in the crowd. Uh, Desiree Reed-Francois has done a fantastic job in her athletic department in getting the students invested in Missouri basketball again. And so the atmosphere has been fantastic at home, and that's a byproduct of the energy and the style with which they play. And I was talking with Kobe Brown earlier this season, uh, either before the Kansas or the Illinois games that I called, and I asked him about that energy, 
And he said, it's, it's not just the coach's energy that we feel, it's the style of play that, that brings us energy. So it just kind of keeps renewing itself. Um, and I think that's a very real thing. You go to Missouri practice and there's noise and there's music and there's guys running around nonstop and even the walk-ons are screaming their head off. Conzo um, is a great coach and nobody should ever take anything away from that. But we knew going in when his era started that defense and rebounding um, are great if you're a great team but can be tough to get people excited if you don't have the talent. Like, you're never going to – if you have – inferior talent very rarely will you out defense and out rebound a superior team but you can out shoot and outscore a superior team if you get hot so uh i just think that that you know it's freshened everything up yeah and the, you know with conzo the michael porter jr situation really was unfortunate because i remember going to the first game which oddly enough was against iowa state and it was That's like right. an absolute rock concert inside Mizzou Arena. I mean, people were energized, fired up. Here we go. The new era, it's on. And then the, the word leaks out that Porter isn't going to play. Uh, Conzo will, <laughs> yeah. will always take the high road on that situation because that's the kind of person he is. But that was as excited as the fan base was, and rightfully so, to get a recruit of that magnitude, especially someone from Columbia, that was doomed from the start and and for a variety of reasons and it created this undue stress i feel on the entire program that was way worse than the excitement that it brought and and so and that's that's kind of from an insider's perspective and being been around so think about the high level of excitement and i'm telling you the the lows were lower than the highs of the excitement from within the organization at that point Wow. Uh, Tom Hart is with us. Great to have him on KMOX. Want to spend a little more time talking college hoops with you as we continue to watch Mizzou. Great win for him over Iowa State, 78-61. I was flipping around yesterday and uh, saw Oklahoma put the hammer on Alabama. My gosh, Porter Moser got his 11-9 Sooners up off the mat. They had lost three straight, although there were you know, some signs that that team could have turned the corner, and they hand it to Alabama. What in the world happened there? 93-69. I had just finished texting somebody that morning that I thought Alabama was the best team in the nation. And then they get you're not, whooped by 24. You're not alone in that. Uh, there's a lot of people that love Alabama. I think Alabama's a great team, and I, I still think they are, but they – had been given warning signs by their coach, Nate Oates. You got to be focused. We're not kind of like the same thing Dennis Gates said, you know, like coaches know what's going on with their team that sometimes isn't reflected on the scoreboard. And Alabama just had escaped Mississippi state in the midweek. They were kind of feeling themselves a little bit. And I tell you what, after giving up 50 in the first half against Oklahoma, they're not feeling themselves anymore. And it's the kind of a result that a, a very intense coach like Nate Oates I think in the end doesn't really mind. I mean, as long as it doesn't cost them a one seed, because that's going to be the motivation and there's going to be some really tough practices for them uh, throughout this week to get them back on track. But they've got the number one college player in the country, Brandon Miller. He had an off shooting night. 
the pieces around him are really good. The style which they play are really good. They're the best offensive team in the SEC. Uh, that, in my mind, was an aberration. But credit to Porter Moser, who can just coach the lights out of a building. They absolutely can. You had on ESPN the Baylor-Arkansas game. Baylor fell behind by, I think, eight points at one point, but came back and won that game by three. Uh, not uh, too long ago, they were a national champion, and you can see why. I mean, they're they're kind of a under-the-radar team, I think. They're ranked 17th in the country. People may have forgotten about Baylor. But uh, old Coach Drew can really draw him up, can he? Man, can he ever. Uh, they started 0-3 in the Big 12, and, and that was a combination of factors. Number one, they played three top 16 teams and lost every game by about a possession, if not two possessions. So they were right there, but also they didn't have their entire roster. Now they have a kid in Keontae George, who's one of their starting guards. They've got three fantastic guards. Uh, Keontae George is going to be a first-round pick. He was the number one shooting guard in the country coming out of high school in Texas. He was magnificent yesterday. He ended up with 24 points. Uh, they don't have a great interior presence, but their guards really drive them. Uh, my, you know, if you wanted to have a bit of concern for Baylor, it's well, can you win in the in the in the tournament? Can you win in March Madness when you're so perimeter oriented? And that's why they struggled a little bit yesterday. But still, as I said to start the conversation, don't doubt anybody in the Big 12. Yeah, there's another Big 12 team, and that would be Kansas. And I know we got a lot of KU fans listening always, and they're scratching their heads a little bit trying to figure out what happened. Although, KU came right back, and we have an equal amount of Kentucky fans that listen to this show. They're everywhere, as we know. Uh, they yes. went at 77-68 over UK. If you could analyze those two teams for us, Kansas and Kentucky, two giants of our business, one of them trying to figure it out, have been all year, that's UK. The other one, Kansas, trying to get back on track to where they know they should be. All right, let's start with Kansas, and we'll do it quick because I don't want the Missouri people changing the station. <laughs> uh, this is not a vintage Bill Self team in the sense that they don't have a true post presence. Um, they're really talented on the perimeter. Uh, Wilson had 22 points yesterday. Grady Dick is one of the best freshman shooters in the country, and he's going to be a great scorer, and he's going to be one and done. Um, but the national championship team that self-built was was also kind of an aberration because it wasn't full of NBA stars, but he got a bunch of dudes who played really well. As bouquet was a great presence inside, and then they, they built into being uh, national championship contenders. I don't know that I would think the same way of this Kansas team as last year, even previous teams. But what they did really well yesterday is they took an undersized front court and they hung all over Oscar Sheepway and they made him work. And Oscar's probably going to need a, an ice bath today. He finished with 18 and nine uh, below his average in rebounds. Um, he can still be a monster for Kentucky inside, but Kentucky's had a hard time balancing the floor finding shooters to spread out the floor on the offensive end to keep people from draping on Oscar and finding rebounding help for the nation's best rebounders. So John Calipari found a lineup uh, about five games ago that they went to that was wildly efficient. It had two shooters on the floor, a freshman point guard in Cason Wallace, who's an NBA talent, and the uh, you know reigning national player of the year inside. They got away from that a little bit yesterday. Uh, or last night, I should say, and, and they just Kansas made Kentucky work really hard on the offensive end, and Kansas made the plays, and Kentucky uh, made mistakes. Now, Kentucky will get right. I've got them Tuesday night on ESPN uh, in an 8 o'clock game at Ole Miss. 
It's a struggling Ole Miss team. Kentucky's going to win that one by 12. And everybody in Big Blue Nation is going to say, uh, depending on their perspective, they're going to say, hey, we're back. We're great again. Or they're going to say, well, that means nothing. We're still terrible. I hate Cal and fire him because yeah. you can only have extremes with that fan base. I 100% understand that. I, I follow a lot of those Kentucky fans and media, and they are really something. Uh, Tom Hart is with us. Just a final thing for his sticking with the SEC and concentrating back on Missouri's situation. The SEC is interesting to me. I watched a little bit of a replay of Texas A&M this morning. Uh, they look really good to me. Auburn's yep. right there at 6-2, and two, right behind them. Tennessee, obviously, is a great great basketball team, fourth in the nation. Florida's kind of hanging around in the middle of the pack, and then Missouri at four. Uh, well, they get the win yesterday. Um, you know, they are kind of middle of the pack as well. What? Where do you see in our final minute here, Mizzou in terms of an NCAA tournament resume, if you were to project them right now? Um, well, real quick, I had a question. I had a discussion with Scott Drew about this yesterday. He said, summarize the SEC for me. It's a defense-first league with great rim protectors, and there aren't a, great, a lot of great shooting teams in the league. Missouri is one of those teams. I put them up there with Alabama. But you've got to be able to win grinded-out games. And Missouri's schedule going forward is very favorable. LSU, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Mississippi State a second time, Ole Miss, LSU twice. Um, they're going to pile up the wins. I think uh, I don't have bracketology in front of me right now, but Missouri looks like a team that is an 8-9 seed. And I don't mind that as a Missouri fan. Like, I, I wouldn't want a second-round matchup with Purdue because we all know Purdue is elite. But the crop of number ones aren't infallible outside of, I think, Purdue. And I, I would have had Alabama in that conversation before yesterday. And so, as we said before, if you're an 8-9 seed in Missouri, and you win that first game and you're hot in the second round, you can beat anybody. This is a, a jump shooting team that can beat anybody in the country, and they have enough weapons to do so on a good night. So, yeah, I, can they play up to a 6-7 seed? Sure. Uh, but I don't see them – I really don't see them struggling the rest of the way because the schedule's so favorable. Dangerous team if they get in there for sure. Tom, you do a great job. Thank you very much for the visit. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure, Tom. Have a great weekend. Tom Hart with us on KMOX's Sports on a Sunday Morning. Some baseball next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nets on Goddard. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Driving jam time. And the Billikens win this one. Touchdown! 
Kansas City. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman coming to you from the Stiefel Sports Studio. It's time to talk some baseball, and we turn things over to KMOX's Matt Pauley with a very special guest. We are very happy right now to uh, welcome on the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, that is Michael Gersh. Michael, thank you for taking some time with us. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am good. What was uh, what was your reaction? What was maybe the other reactions of people inside of uh, the Cardinals' offices when you found out that Scott Rowland was going to be a Hall of Famer? Oh, I think it was. Uh, it's exciting. It's always exciting when someone who's spent some time here gets uh, gets honored like that. And um, I know Mo in particular. You know, I was around when Scott was here, but I was not uh, not hanging around the big league clubhouse at that time very much. I was more doing amateur scouting stuff. So I don't have a long relationship with Scott, though I've met him a few times. But I know Mo is. Uh, uh, considers him a friend, and I know Mo is very excited about it. So it's uh, a great honor for him. It, it seemed like it was going to happen one of these years, just wasn't obvious it was going to happen this year. But uh, nice, nice, uh, nice um, recognition of a great career. Would you like to see Hall of Fame voters value defense at third base maybe a little bit more than they do? Um, look, I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't. I'm not in the weeds on, on Hall of Fame voting and how they, how they. Uh, over the years, how they've transitioned from, you know, like round numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Round numbers of wins, home runs, uh, RBIs seem like drove Hall, uh, Hall of Fame voting for a long time to now being a little bit more uh, maybe data savvy. But I think, I, I think third base is a weird position. It's, it's not seen as one of the like elite defensive positions up the middle of the field, but, but some, you know, some guys are incredible defenders at third base and add a ton of value. You know, we have one now in, in Nolan and, uh, when Scott was here for for many years, he was the same way, and I think uh, I think sometimes it's looked at as more of an offensive position. But but the guys who are great defensive third basemen, you know, it's making a huge difference in your team. And I, it's possible that that's undervalued by the Hall of Famers for sure. What is this period like for you guys, where you've kind of done the heavy lifting of the off season, but I know at the same time you never close the door to making the team better. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a, a transition period where we sort of are starting to transition from the off season into spring training into the beginning of the amateur scouting season into um, just, you know, beginning the player development process and, and those seasons um, to your point, we're, we're always looking, we're, we're still talking to teams from every now and then there's still guys on waivers and, and other opportunities. And obviously there's still a few free agents still out there. Um, so it's, it's different than sort of early in the off season where you're really, you know, trying to stay in touch with all 29 teams and, and, and tons of free agents and tons of agents and have lots of balls in the air. Now it's a little bit more, you know, sparse in the conversations and, and a few that might spark something that have a chance to, to come to fruition. Um, and, and, uh, you know, a lot that sort of don't really go anywhere. Um, but as, as a front office, we sort of, a lot of our time is now starting to prepare for the 2023 season and, and less about uh, the off season acquisition process. Specifically to the amateur side of things, has that turned into a 12 month a year thing? Um, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. You know, um, we, we don't, we do some, sort of January, like sort of prep meetings here in town uh, this week. And, you know, I had some conversations with guys where we talked about, like, if you, if you're a high school player in, in Florida or, or Arizona or Southern California, they're already playing high school baseball, or at least, at least maybe not official season games, but they're having you know, all season scrimmages and practices. And so our scouts are already out, you know, sort of laying the groundwork on, on that. And, and certainly, the draft is in July now, a month later than it used to be, which sort of stretches out this 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 process. And then as soon as this process happens in July, we immediately start scouting the summer leagues and the Cape Cod League. And 
So it's it's probably not 12 months, but it's, it's probably like, you know, nine or 10 before it kind of gets quiet for November and December. Do you enjoy the challenge? In other sports, there's not a linear path, but there's there's a more kind of concrete kind of way to, to get to the highest levels of the sport. In baseball, there's so many different pathways that guys can take coming straight out of high school, going junior college, going to a four-year, going junior college. To, like there's, there's a million different ways, and you find guys at, at different stages of their development. Is that fun for, for you and, and your staff? Yeah, I think I think that's part of the challenge, right? I think I think what scouts look. Every scout hopes to have a, a first round pick. You know, go to the high school next, you know, down the street because it means that they they'll they'll know the guy well. They they can scout him easily and all that. But um, you know, again, when we had these meetings this week, one of our one of our scouts talked about scouting Mount Olive College and finding Cody Whitley, who had been uh, had Tommy John surgery, you know, the year before, missed a year had only come back and made three appearances that year. He happened to be at one of them, you know, to be at a college game in Mount Olive and see a kid throwing 95 that you didn't even know existed before you walked into this park that day is that's what they live for, right? It's finding guys and uncovering, uncovering the, the sort of hidden gems. And I think we've, you know, organizationally, we've kind of made a living off of, you know, rounds, you know, five through 15 or whatever with guys like Carpenter and, and, you know, Tommy Edmond and Donovan and Lars Lupar and that, that's, I think, what, you know, in some ways is almost more fun than going to see the number one player in the country who's been a superstar at some SEC school for three years and everyone knows who he is. And it's sort of a, it's not as much of a, you don't get the butterflies and excitement of having discovered someone who, who can make a difference. Cardinals general manager Michael Gersh continuing to uh, to chat with us. I think a lot of people hear your title. They know they know Mo's title as president of baseball operations, but I also think there's maybe some confusion in what what it looks like in your guys' working relationship. Can you kind of describe that for our listeners a little bit of how you and Mo work together? Yeah, I think I, I mean, look. Everyone knows Mo's the Mo's the main guy. He's he's the head of baseball operations. He has been for I don't know, fifteen seasons now, maybe sixteen seasons. Um, and and I've been you know starting in two thousand eleven, I got promoted to assistant GM and and was sort of Mo's right hand man. And that's sort of been my role for the last decade. And in in some cases, we split things up and and you know like separate our our sort of work responsibilities. In most cases, we are very much working together on things. So. There are cases where there are certain agents I have relationships with, and there's many agents, especially the, the guys who've been around for a while, that Mo has had long-term relationships with. And so when we want to approach a free agent or approach a player about an extension, we'll, we'll sort of decide who makes more sense to start that process. There's, um, there's certain teams that Mo has, you know, someone like the Yankees with, with Cashman. Mo and Cashman have both been in charge of their respective organizations for you know, 15 years or 20 years. So when we talk Yankees, sometimes Mo just picks up the phone and calls cash. And there's other teams where I have relationships with guys who you know, are newer in the role. And so I, I follow up with those and start the trade talks on, in those cases. Um, and then within, you know, our, our sort of internal operations, you know, I, I'm, my background is on the analytics side. So I sort of um, am much more involved in our baseball development analytics group. You know, Mo's background is more on the uh, – has been around longer with the player development side. So he works a little bit more closely with Gary LaRock, but it's, it's not like we, it, it's much more of we work as a team on things and not so much that we have like, you know, clear silos that this, this is my part of the organization and this is most part. I mean, the whole thing is most part. And I, and I jump in where it makes sense to, to make an impact and try to keep moving us forward. 
there were parts of this offseason that were just wild, whether it was the money that was being thrown around, the years that were being thrown around. Do you guys ever just kind of look at each other and look at some of these deals and just go, you know, in almost shock of maybe the direction that the industry is going, if that makes sense? Um, I don't think shock. I, I, I think anytime you come out of um, a new CBA, a, a lot of people feel more comfortable making big, bigger commitments because they know that there's some certainty for the next five years about, you know, about relative peace in the, uh, in the industry. And I, I think there are times there are, there are moves that sort of, um, I don't want to say confuse, but there's, there are moves that are more surprising than others, right? Like there are moves where, you know, when Aaron judge signs for a lot of money with the New York Yankees, it doesn't exactly make your head spin. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's other moves where you're like, well, that's, that's not what I was expecting, or that's not the team I expected, or that's not the contract that we would have guessed. And, and that's just part of, part of 30 teams competing and trying to figure out how to best allocate their resources to, to improve their teams. I'll finish you off with this. Like my take on the Cardinals is there's a lot of question marks because there's not a lot of guys outside of Goldschmidt, Arnato, Edmund, and Contreras that have year over year track records. Like Tyler O'Neill had a really good year. Lars Newtbar had a really good half season last year, but these guys have not have these multi-year track records, but there's also a lot of optimism about so many guys, whether it is O'Neill or Newtbar or Carlson or Gorman, like so many guys. I'm excited to see if these guys are going to kind of take that step forward and, and become those consistent big leaders. Are, in the uh, this is a long question, but do you get excited about that? Like, are you really excited to see some of these guys that don't have those track records if they are able to take that next step? A hundred percent. I mean, I think it, in some ways this is like the ideal spring training for us in that we have a whole bunch of young, exciting, kind of up and coming type players, and it's also a WBC year. So you know, when you talk about we have we have a, a, a like kind of a smaller group of veteran players, like like they can't get much better than Goldie and Arenado, right? Like if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a small group of guys, like two MVP guys is a great way place to start. But those guys and Wayne Rowe and Mike List and a bunch of other players are gonna be are gonna be gone to WBC for some period of time in March, and so there's gonna be a lot of at bats to see what you know Alec Burleson or Jordan Walker, and there's gonna be a lot of innings for guys like Libertor and Connor Thomas and Graceffo and McGreevy. There's just there's a lot of a lot of players that we're excited to sort of see what 2023 brings for them. And, and not only is that true just in general, but it's true that in this spring training, they're set up to have opportunities, right? And I, we know that not all of them are going to hit in spring training and, and we can't, you shouldn't overanalyze, you know, 25 at bats or 12 innings in spring training anyway, but just the idea that we got a lot of exciting players who are going to get opportunities to, to sort of see where they stand is, uh, is fun and exciting. And it, it makes it the, the this season has the potential to have a bunch of new faces that sort of break out into the uh, into sort of that that tier that you said that tier that kind of repeats it for more than a year and that everyone sort of has confidence we can build around. He is Michael Gershie, is the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, joining us. Michael, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you both. And when we come back, we'll talk hockey. The Blues breakdown, and the Blues are breaking down a little bit. We'll hear from Craig Berube, Jordan Bennington, Tori Krug, and Ivan Barbashev next on KMOX's Sports on a Sunday morning. It's a gutter. Big fly. Nolan Arenado. Driving jam time. The Billikens win this one. Touchdown. 
Kansas City. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman from the Stiefel Sports Studio. It's time for our Blues breakdown as we go into the Blues dressing room and hear from the coach and three players after yesterday's 4-2 to loss to the Colorado Avalanche. The Blues have lost four in a row. They're five points out of 10th place in the Western Conference as they fall to the Stanley Cup champions, courtesy of Blue Note Productions and post-dispatch beat writer Jim Thomas asking the questions. Here's Coach Craig Berube. Two games, a real slow start and, 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 and a good finish. How do you? Yeah, um, you know, it, come, coming into this rink, it's always, you know, a first tough period. They start fast and they, they make you turn and go back for pucks a lot. And, I thought we were actually okay. You know, we just we lost the puck battle on uh, the one goal on the wall, and the second goal we got the puck out, but we they punched it back, and we got to just we got to do a better job of defending that rush. You know, we can't give up. You know, our D's got to pull inside the dots on our play because we lost our three forwards, and they were down two nothing. So, you know, it kind of set us back a bit. But I thought the guys were ready to play. You know the okay. first period, and um, you know handle things because they're going to come hard, right? And the positive of the game is we had a real good third period. We really pushed hard, and that's a competitiveness we need to see all game. How do you bring that out uh, from the well, opening? That's up to each guy. That's his job to com- prepare to compete and skate and work and do all the little things and uh, be aggressive, be on your toes and play. Don't play tentative. Mm-hmm. Duh, did did uh, Bennington? Getting in that scrum, did that spark the guys at all? I'm sure it did, and you know he played a great game, and uh, he's he's emotionally involved in the game, Bennington. That's what that, you know. Sometimes that's why that stuff happens. Yeah, and 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 I know maybe sometimes he doesn't use it in the right way, but you need guys with fire, don't you? One hundred percent. Now, it, it, near, it, near the end of the game, you, you get a lot of looked like a lot of. Well, you just missed by a few inches good from time. Cha- good chances. Uh, didn't finish it off. Uh, Jordan had a real nice look there with the goalie out and made a good save. I mean, that's the way it goes. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta make your own luck and you gotta work. And we gotta, you know, we gotta move on from this game and prepare for Winnipeg. Can you take something out of that? Well, you should. You should take the third period and bottle it up and you know, know each individual, realize what it takes. It's not. It's not easy to play that way. But a lot of these guys are played that way for a long time, right? I mean, they, they know how to do it, right? We have to play that way. Thanks. On that scrum that he was involved in, here's Blues goaltender Jordan Bennington. Why'd you go back there and join, join the scrum? What did you see? Um, I just felt like there, you know, the game uh, could have used some energy. And, um, you know, I just try to do everything I can to, to, to win. You know, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's been a tough stretch. And, um, just trying to find a way, like we've said uh, over and over again, and um, you know, positive is uh, you know we had a good last uh, 25, 30 minutes, I would say, and um, you know we really we had uh, we had character, we played hard, and um, you know we were playing together and backing each other up. So um, that's uh, that's positive, and hopefully we can um, bring that moving forward. Is it uh, maddening the just uh, like four games in a row, just these very very slow starts? Yeah, I think it's just you know, um, big picture. It's it's frustrating. Um, you know, these are games uh, at a critical time in our season, and uh, we want to win. And um, we know we need the points. So, um, 
you know, we, we just got to keep finding a way and uh, just fighting every night and because and, we're not going to go quietly, uh, no way. So um, just got to keep keep one day at a time, one game at a time, one period at a time. Just good focus and, and uh, yeah. Why did you think there was more energy or more life at the start of the game? Um, I don't know. At the start of the game, you mean? Just as you have a very slow start by, by, the, by the team. It just didn't seem like there was much energy, much life. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was terrible. I, um, you know, they come out hard here at home. We know that. We've been here um, a lot of times. And, um, yeah, we just got to just focus, like I said, one period at a time, one shift at a time, and just simplify it and, uh, you know, let let things snowball and, and uh, yeah. They don't like you here, but uh, you don't seem to mind. No, I love it. You know, that, uh, that was a fun atmosphere and... Um, you know, that was loud, 18,000 people uh, hating on you. I don't mind that. When you were given this gesture, were you just saying, hey, bring it on? Yeah, kind of, let's go. Um, you know, we're in it, we're fighting, we're not giving up, and um, that's the mentality. Did O'Connor do anything egregious that made you want to get into that scrum? Uh, he's a little aggressive around the net, but nothing in particular. Um, you know, it's, it happens, it's hockey, and, um, you know, they got, they play hard, so... Um, that happens sometimes, and, and you handle it uh, how you want to handle it. I asked Barbie this. Uh, is there anything you can take out of that third period? I mean, there were like two or three or four shots where you guys are just inches from tying the game. Yeah, we were close. We, we almost tied it up a couple times, and um, we were in the game, and that's important. And, uh, you know, if, if that's how we're going to lose, by playing hard and, and just doing the right things and it doesn't go our way, then that's so be it. But uh, we have to do everything in our power to, to find a way to win. And... Uh, yeah, hopefully bring this you know with us going in the last game before the bye week and um, just put all, put it all out there and then uh, regroup. The defending cup champs, you, other than the empty net goal, all three of your games on this year, three to two, you win one, one you lose in overtime. Does that show you that you guys can play with anybody in the league? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe we can beat any team on any given night, and um, I, I truly believe that. So it's it's upsetting right now with how it's gone, but it's part of it. I think you know it's it's just. It happens, and, and you just got to keep your head up and, and keep working, and um, hopefully over time things come around. Thanks. Blues defenseman Tori Krug. Tori's like two different games out there. The, the, the first half of the game, you guys look kind of lifeless. second half, you took it to them. I mean, how, how do you explain the, the start and then the finish? Um, yeah, I mean, they dictated the play in the first. Uh, they're a team that, that starts fast, especially in their building, and we understood it. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't. It was too little, too late. We came out in the third and played the right way, and I think we just competed harder. That was all. Um, nothing to it besides working harder and and uh, being willing to get into battles and uh, just showing up. How, how, why has it been so hard to? And again, I know they're tough in the spilling. Why has it been hard these last four games to start, kind of the way you finished? I don't know. Um, <laughs> if we had that answer, we'd we'd uh, change things, but. Um, just about looking, you know, showing up on time and and having pride, uh, you know, playing in this league. It's it's a gift and uh, it's tough to do. So you have to show up uh, right when the puck drops. Otherwise, you'll get exposed. And that's what's happened the last few games. So um, we got to show up with the right mentality and um, don't wait, you know, before you're behind a couple goals to, to show it. Yeah, and I I know you got a, you got a lot of injuries, but you still you guys take a lot of talent and a lot of experience on the ice every night. Yeah, I mean. You know, we at times um, we show that we can. We're still capable of winning games and, and still capable of beating good hockey teams. Uh, it's been few and far between lately, but 
uh, we have the, the ability. So um, it's just about showing up with the right mentality and, and doing the work and not making any excuses. Um, do it right from the get-go and, and don't wait until the third period. Your, your scuffle with uh, uh, Nieto, I believe it was, just what, what was behind that and it looked like he, he just didn't want to fight. Yeah, nothing. It's, it's whatever. Just didn't like how I was bumped into and nothing nothing crazy, so it's nothing. You went back to the tunnel for a bit. Were you okay? Did you just need to get checked out? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. The Blues indeed are banged up and dealing with some injuries. Here is Blues forward Ivan Barbashev. Again, this is the post-dispatch. Is Jim Thomas asking the questions. Barbie, uh, such a slow start for you guys, but you guys really put on the pressure late. You had several chances to tie that one up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so sorry again. Uh, we go down 3 nothing, you know, and then we get a couple. Uh, but, you know... The third period showed that we can play like this, you know. It's just, but it just it just has to be every single shift. We got to play hard, and uh, you know, because we took the game over in the third, and uh, you know, like it was fun to play. The team looked almost lifeless the first half of the game, and how, how do you explain that? I mean, it just it, it's about four games in a row. It's taking you forever to get going. Yeah, yeah I don't know. We we get down, and uh, you know, like it seems. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. There's just like kind of no life. So this is something uh, we got to do better as a team. Uh, just to have a life on the bench, and uh, like you know, like especially just after going down one nothing, you know, uh, just got to be better. This uh, the next shift matters. That's what we got to focus on. Did that scrum when uh, Jordan got into the scrum? Did that fire you guys up a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it did. You know, uh, he's he's that kind of a guy, so he's trying to to get a life uh, for a team. So he he was he was really good today. Can you take us through uh, your goal, uh, how you stole the puck and then skating in? I, I don't know. It just uh, it just started from the defensive zone, so I, I kind of saw a chance to to poke it from the guy because uh, I, I feel like I had a reach on him, and uh, you know, just uh, glad I got a breakaway from it. You uh, can you take anything out of this game? Obviously, you're going into another tough building in Winnipeg. Yeah, we're going to play against Winnipeg. They've been really good this uh, this season. Uh, you know, our third period showed how we can play, and uh, that's what we that's what we have to do in Winnipeg. So, play the same way, hard, physical, get to the net, and uh, you know, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna win the game. Do you, uh, is it hard to keep the trade deadline out of the back of your head? I, I don't care, to be honest. It kind of you don't what you don't care. You just don't think about it. I'm thinking about it right now. So, you know, we're in a spot where we're we've been losing. So, I don't want to put that on my head as well. Thank you. Thanks to Blue Note Productions and Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch. And right there, that last question about the trade deadline. It is March 3rd, so we're coming up on a month away. And the Blues, as it stands right now, look like sellers as they are five points out of 10th place in the Western Conference. They sit in 11th still with 49 points. They've lost four in a row. They visit Winnipeg tomorrow night. Thanks for joining us. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Enjoy the football this afternoon. College basketball rolling this week. Don't miss your chance. You should go Friday night to see SLU play VCU at Chavitz Arena. That is going to be some crowd. We appreciate producer Drew Young, and we say so long from the Stiefel Sports Studio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.